Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. Boxing with Chris Mannix is presented by FanDuel. The NBA season is kicking into gear. You guys know I love my NBA. And there's no better place to get into the action than FanDuel. The app is safe, secure, and easy to use. FanDuel has exclusive offers, boosts, and more all month long. When you win, you get paid fast. FanDuel has lots of ways to play, like the spread, money line, over-unders, team totals, player props, and so much more. Jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting, combine multiple bets from the same game in a same-game parlay, and try out Same Game Parlay Plus. So, download the FanDuel app today using promo code BOXING. Start making every moment more. Welcome back to another Boxing with Chris Mannix. As always, you can listen to the show live on the AMP app. Just follow Chris Mannix on AMP. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right, Keith Eideck is here. Senior writer, BoxingScene.com, originally scheduled to be in Minnesota for the Showtime televised card this weekend, but Keith not dedicated enough to find alternate modes of transportation after his flight had been canceled. Keith, I mean, I'm just saying, like, you could have drove, like, that, you know, Jersey to Minnesota is what, like, half a day? You could, maybe a day, you could pull it off. Like, that that could show some dedication to the cause, my friend. I've never been more pleased to get a, a notification from Delta that said the flight was canceled. <laughs> Glorious day. It's like, you kinda, seriously, you... uh, the, the low in, in Minneapolis tomorrow, I believe, is with the wind chill factor is going to be minus 11. And they're going to get somewhere between 12 and 18 inches of snow by the time this is all done. So be very happy to cover the fights from the uh, comforts of home. I, you've been there a few times, I'm sure. I think Minneapolis is actually a pretty good place to hold fights. They do decent crowds. The venue's okay. Um, I, I think you just have to be wary of booking fights there in January and February when it's sub-zero every single day. You have to almost expect stuff like this to happen. Yeah, I've, I've been there, I think, three times now uh, in a relatively short amount of uh, time. But it, it's a nice city, though. If you're there at the right time, I was there in June last year. I mean, the you know the ballpark's awesome if you're baseball fan I and mean, there's a lot of stuff to do culturally downtown and everything it's a, it's a good place but like you said the weather's so brutal for those three or four months of the year uh, but they're used to it you know you they have all those indoor walkways you don't have to go mm-hmm. outside all that kind of stuff but man that would have been treacherous trying to go from hotel to hotel with all this like frozen snow on the ground and everything would have been terrible so uh yeah but they yeah, do do to your point chris they do do well at the at the venue i mean the, mm-hmm. the fans respond to boxing jamal james is fighting on on saturday night which is why they went there initially to begin with i think you know jamal james fought at the armory several times um you know and the fans and they you know it's set up where fans can kind of just stand in the uh kind of alleyways along the sides um probably not describing it uh accurately but but it's an interesting place and fans it's just kind of a festive atmosphere and they do pretty well i mean you know it holds 
five, 6,000 people or something like that. And uh, they do pretty well. No, I like it. I think PBC's onto something with bringing fights there. Um, just uh, preferably in the months of spring and summer and fall and not the dead of winter. Um, we're going to talk about that card uh, this weekend. We're also going to talk about the Jake Paul, Tommy Fury fight scheduled for Sunday. Uh, a little bit of news or potential news involving Gennady Golovkin. But Keith, I first want to look back at what we saw last weekend in the 126-pound division. Mauricio Lara, who has become something of a Brit killer over in the UK, uh, has one win over Josh Warrington, now has another win and a title after beating Lee Wood this past weekend. Uh, I thought Lee Wood, Keith, was doing great for the better part of seven rounds. I thought he was winning the fight. But Mauricio Lara just hits hard. And in that seventh round, he clipped Wood with a brutal left hook uh, that put Wood down and Wood out. Uh, Start here. What did you think of the fight and the finish by Mauricio Lara? Yeah, he's got that ultimate equalizer, Chris, as you said, that counter left hook that he hit him with in the exchange just abruptly ended the fight. You know, there were people I, I, you know, of course, on social media, everyone's got an opinion. And I saw a lot of people saying that Lee Wood should have been able to continue I don't know. I mean, he looked like, you know, he was pretty out of it. And and Lara only had he had less than 10 seconds, probably. But that's enough time to really unload some damaging punches. And I think he probably would have finished him off because Wood didn't even know where he was. I think Ben Davison made the right call, particularly he's got a rematch clause, you know, live to fight another day. I mean, he was just caught with a perfect shot. Um, But Lee Wood, as you said, was doing very well, Chris. He was ahead on all three scorecards and he had some trouble in the in the opening two rounds. In the, in the second round, you know, Lara hit him with a right hand toward the end of the round that wobbled him a little bit. Um, but that's what happens when you're in there with a dangerous puncher. And man, credit to Mauricio Lara. I mean, he doesn't care. You know, you want me to go to uh, Josh Warrington's hometown? No problem. I'll go knock him out. You want me to go to, well, he knocked him out in London and then fought him in his hometown after that. But you go to his home country, you know, you want me to fight Lee Wood in Nottingham? No problem. I'll go knock him out, too. And the kids, you know, he's a young guy. He's 24, I believe. Um, and kudos to him for just being willing to, to take those types of assignments. Now, he's getting paid very well, so he's not going to make that kind of money staying in Mexico and fighting. So uh, there's that factor uh, that, that makes it make a lot of sense for him. But he's kind of found a, a home away from home here because British boxing fans appreciate guys who who bring it like that you know i'm not saying he's going to sell out arenas by himself but they keep bringing him back there people are going to want to see him so he's created this kind of niche market for himself where he can keep uh, he's going to go back there and fight lee at least lee wood maybe he'll fight warrington again and the winner will fight lee wood based on what i saw in his first fight against warrington uh, i don't see warrington being able to beat him so if they do fight for a third time I would expect him to move forward into the Lee Wood rematch and the, and the kid's going to make a lot of money. So good for him. Yeah. On the stoppage, like most people in the moment, I was a little surprised. There was only 10 seconds left. Lee Wood did make it to his feet. I thought Davison would give him more of an opportunity, but Davison knows his fighter. And in the aftermath, like you could see in the corner that Lee Wood wasn't right. He was doing what most fighters do, protesting, saying, I can go, I could go. But you could see in his eyes he wasn't right. Quite frankly, Keith, in the post-fight interview, several minutes later, he still didn't look right. So even if he had made it out of the final 10 seconds of that round, which is no guarantee, um, the next round, I don't think he would have been fully recovered, and that could have led to something disastrous. You mentioned the rematch clause. It's... It was a live to fight another day moment, you know, for Ben Davison and Lee Wood. And I do think it was uh, the right decision. Um, I, I can see, you know, a, a third fight with Warrington materializing. You know, that was pretty gross that, you know, Lara spit at Warrington after the fight. There's no need for for that. There's enough animosity between those two guys to have to not have that. But if I'm Josh Warrington, I know he's mentally a tough guy. That's not a fight I'd be running towards, man. Like Josh Warrington has looked a little chinny in recent fights. He lost his last fight. You know, he goes in against Mauricio Lara. I think something worse happens to him than happened to him the first time that those two guys fought when he took just a brutal beating that might have changed the course of his career. There's money in it, there's a title in it. But if I'm Josh Warrington, I might think twice about about doing that with Lee Wood, because I think that would be the end of Josh Warrington, Keith. I, I don't I don't think he comes back 
from a third fight against Lee against uh, uh, Mauricio Lara. That that very well could be true, Chris. But I'm sure he's looking at it like, well, it's another. He just lost another title fight to Luis Lopez. This would give him another title opportunity right away. And the Luis Lopez fight was close. Um, I think he lost a split decision, but you know, he looks at it like he gets another title shot in his hometown. The whole event's built around him. Th these guys are all delusional for the most part, Chris. They always think they're going to win. It's never too much. It's never an assignment too big or too dangerous. So I would probably expect Josh Warrington to embrace it because how else is he going to make that kind of money? How is he going to have an entire event built around a big event built around him in his hometown and have another title opportunity as I think he's, you know, 32 or so, something like that. You know, he's getting toward the back end of his career here. Um, so he probably would pounce on it. And like you said, probably turns out very similarly to their first fight, but these guys, it's, it's never enough for the most part. I mean, very few of them walk away kind of with the same idea about where they are in their careers that those of us on the outside looking in see it. I do like a rematch with Wood, though. Um, you know, Wood yeah, was great. doing well in that fight. Um, he was landing good power shots. It looked like at times that Lara was fatigued during that fight. Uh, I thought Wood's game plan was excellent, you know, and maybe in a rematch he doesn't get cut early on, which I think changed a few things for him, especially in that second round. Got a little too overeager in that second round and and paid the price for it. Uh, I think he can win a rematch. He's got to be a little more careful and not expose himself in the way he did for that counter shot. But I do like the idea of a wood rematch. If, if Lara can't get either one of those fights right away, he's kind of a perfect fit for that Canelo undercard in, in May. Like if he can come back quickly, I mean, he can fight in Mexico on Canelo's undercard, have kind of a showcase type of fight before going into another fight against either wood or Warrington uh, over the summer. But he has established himself as one of, if not the top guy, um, in the 126-pound uh, division. Um, sticking with the UK, Keith, we had some news involving Connor Ben, who has been talking a lot about his pending exoneration and now has a little bit of support to back it up. The WBC has cleared Connor Ben of wrongdoing, at least as far as their rankings go. Um Buying into the argument to boil it down, not to make a pun there, but Connor Ben uh, ate too many eggs, and uh, that was what contributed to the positive clomiphene test. Now, this has been criticized, to say the least, by some in the sports science community. I saw Victor Conti make some public statements, basically calling it ludicrous that the WBC would uh, come to this conclusion. Ultimately, Keith, as you know, what the WBC says has no weight whatsoever. They can reintroduce Connor Ben into their welterweight rankings, but he can't fight unless he's cleared by the British Boxing Board of Control to fight in the UK or is licensed by a major commission in the US or or elsewhere. So I guess your uh your reaction to the WBC clearing Connor Ben and buying into that 270 page document that he allegedly sent over to them well they sure gave him plenty of time to get his story straight i'll say that because he failed this test in july for some reason in the letter that the wbc released they said their i don't know their investigative unit whatever that is couldn't get to it until january i'm not really sure why that would be either uh, can you and just then, picture, by the way, can you just picture mauricio suleiman like in a law and order theme like dun 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 yeah, it's like their investigative unit. What is that? That's what it says. I don't remember exactly what it was called, but there it was referred to in the letter that they sent out. Chris, as as it relates to the WBC's credibility um, regarding PED testing, it was in, just destroyed beyond recognition based on what they did with the uh, Oscar Valdez situation. I don't take anything they say related to PED testing seriously anymore. I don't know how anyone could. Um, look, what is the purpose of having this clean boxing program, which was a good idea when it was, you know, they're in business with Vada, which is a very respected agency uh, that seemingly trying to do the right thing. And now every time at least a prominent fighter fails a test, they allow the fighter to excuse his way out of it. They're, what is the purpose of the testing? 
But like you said, Chris, it really is irrelevant because until uh, licensing agencies clear him, in this case, the British Boxing Board of Control, it, it doesn't matter. He's not going to be licensed to fight anywhere where he wants to fight. I mean, obviously, he will make the most money for his for his fights in the UK. And the British Boxing Board of Control said, oh, that that's nice. The WBC, uh, th- thanks for chiming in, but we don't really care what you're saying because until he proves it to UK anti-doping, it doesn't matter to us. So he will probably go fight in the Middle East where um, presumably he can do whatever he wants. Um, but he's not going to fight in the UK. And I don't know if there's ever any call for him to fight in the US, but he certainly would have similar problems here getting licensed. So all it really did for the WBC is is make itself seem even more ridiculous as it relates to PED testing, which is almost unfathomable because they really embarrassed themselves with the Oscar Valdez situation. I didn't think they could get worse based on and, and Oscar Valdez fought. And there and there were some loopholes that were exploited based on what's in the regulations for being licensed and for what's being you know for for being sanctioned to fight for a title. But again, I just don't understand the point of having this clean boxing program when you just ignore the findings. It, it's stupid. It is. Um, putting the WBC's decision aside, do you understand why that Connor Ben and Eddie Hearn wanted this ruling from the WBC? Because, like we said, it is kind of a toothless ruling. Like, did I mean? Do they almost want just kind of a minor victory? in all this to to at least be able to publicly claim that they have been exonerated, even though everybody knows that you aren't truly exonerated until the board of control rules in your favor, the state of Nevada rules in your favor, the state of New York rules in your favor, any of these major commissions that Connor Ben would like to be licensed by. I just never understood why, you know, Eddie Herman would come out and say, well, this was under the WBC's jurisdiction. Well, not really. Right. Like the WBC is just a sanctioning body. The British Boxing Board of Control is the the body that's in charge of all this. I never quite understood why, you know, the WBC was the first stop on the Connor Ben attempted redemption tour. The only thing that this affords, the only thing that the WBC ruling affords Connor Ben is that he now can be ranked in the top 15 in their welterweight rankings, I guess. Right. Uh, who cares? I mean, the, the WBO once ranked a deceased person. What, what does it matter? True, very true. They ranked in the top fifteen. Who who cares? So if I, I can't imagine that, Matt. Well, listen, Eddie. You know, as a promoter, has to maintain a good relationship with all the sanctioning bodies because they're going to be of use to you at some point with other fighters. So, uh, you know, I, I guess they have to commend the WBC publicly for doing what they did. But again, it doesn't matter. Until until the British Boxing Board of Control, the most pertinent organization involved in this at this point, clears him, who cares? But but again, he Chris, he can go fight in Dubai or Saudi Arabia or somewhere else where they basically have a commission that was just formed in the last few years and they'll just allow, you know, they'll just pay a whole bunch. I don't know what the benefit of bringing Conor Ben to Dubai is, is there, is there going to be some line of people to see Conor Ben fight in Dubai? I, I don't know, but they seem to be spending a lot of money on other events that I don't know why they, you know, that doesn't really seem all that sensible, but they print money over there. So they don't really care about that either. Well, bottom line is you're not going to be able to do a big domestic fight with Conor Ben anytime soon. Like you're just not like the, and the Eubank fight's gone now anyway. Yeah. Gone. <laughs> Done. And even if Eubank were able to win a rematch against Liam Smith, you could conceivably piece that back together in terms of public interest. But it, you know, I I think, and a lot of people in boxing think that whenever Conor Ben faces the British Boxing Board and submits his evidence, uh, he's going to face some kind of suspension, uh, and, and that's it's not going to lead to him immediately getting reinstated or licensed by the British Boxing Board of Control. By the way, last thing on Conor Ben. I didn't know Domino's Pizza was that savage. Did you see that tweet from Domino's Pizza UK? It, it was a tweet that they put out calling this new pizza the Connor Ben Special, and it was a cheese pizza with egg on it. They put eggs on the pizza. Savage burn by Domino's Pizza UK. 
And Connor Ben replied and he said, I prefer Pizza Hut. There is a pizza war going on in the UK, Keith, involving Connor Ben. First of all, I would like to know why Chris Mannix is following the uh, Domino's UK. <laughs> I wasn't. It just popped in my timeline. I was. Second, second, I didn't even know they had Domino's Pizza in the UK. So, you know, it was, yeah, clever, clever, I suppose, you know. Savage burn by Domino's UK against Connor Ben. That was wild. Unbelievable. Um, all right. Jake Paul is back this weekend, finally getting in the ring for, against Tommy Fury. This is a fight that's been scheduled now three times. Tommy has backed out of it twice for various reasons. First, due to injury. Second, due to the uh, inability to get cleared to fly into the U.S. Um, this is being billed, Keith, as Jake Paul's first test against a real boxer. Tommy Fury officially 8-0 as a professional boxer, though if you take a deeper look at his resume, you can see it's a very, very thin one for a professional boxer. Let me ask you this. What, if anything, do you think Jake Paul would prove with a win over Tommy Fury? Chris, uh, <laughs> <laughs> The combined records of Tommy Fury's eight opponents is 34, 176, and five. So you could certainly argue that fighting Tyron Woodley or or Anderson Silva uh, was more impressive than fighting Tommy Fury. Now, he's Tyson Fury's brother, but he only had 12 amateur fights. They, the pitiful combined record of his professional opponents is, is embarrassing. Um and if you really look at it, he has eight professional fights. He's 8-0 with four knockouts. Anderson Silva, who has spent most of his life as an MMA, you know, an elite-level MMA fighter, has five professional boxing matches. So what is really the difference between Anderson Silva and Tommy Fury, other than that Anderson Silva is better? He's already fought someone better than Tommy Fury. Tommy Fury is a nice guy, man. Like, I don't... He's, Easy to deal with. Seems like a pleasant person and all that. He's clearly living off his brother's name and fame and legacy and all that. Um, he's not at Love Island. Yeah, and and he's famous in the UK and all that. And I don't blame him. He's just exploiting the opportunity. I mean, he's making a what I was told he was making five million dollars for this fight, which is wow. If that that's accurate, that's nuts. But again, these Saudis are, are just printing money, so they they bring this big event over there. Um, Jake Paul, to his credit, has said this himself. He said, everyone is fixated on this quote-unquote real boxer theme. I've already fought someone who's better than him and beat him in his last fight. I thought the fight was a little closer than the scorecards had it, but he did knock Anderson Silva down. And Anderson Silva, to Tommy Fury's point, is more than twice his age. He's 47 years old, you know. So, uh, but he probably has, you know, he beat Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., of course, is not the gold standard for professional boxers. He doesn't prepare properly. He has not, you know, he has, he has really uh, irresponsibly gone about most of his career. But he did beat him very convincingly. And there's no way, no fighter on Tommy Fury's record that is anywhere near as good as Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., even at this age and even at 60% of himself. So he's already beaten someone better than Tommy Fury. So this whole real boxer. Play it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, and Jake Paul himself has said that. But if these people are willing to pay him this amount of money to see a fight that, frankly, I don't see how Jake Paul loses, uh, congratulations to them. It, I agree with everything that you said there. Um, Tommy Fury is a celebrity, certainly in the UK, but. You know, I mentioned the resume. Just watch his fights, and I've watched a handful of them over the years. Like he doesn't possess a fraction of the skill that his half brother does. Um, what, what interests me most about this fight, Keith, is that the Fury family is at least publicly putting an enormous amount of pressure on Tommy Fury. Like Tyson has basically said, you have to drop the family name if you lose to Jake Paul. You know, Dad is convinced that Tommy's going to go out. And flatten Jake. Tommy doesn't knock guys out. Like he's got what four knockouts on his resume, and he hasn't fought you know these world beaters with great chins. Um, <laughs> I, I'm honestly because I think Jake's going to win. Uh, I don't know how he wins, whether it's a decision or he scores a knockout. I think Jake's going to win. But like I'm more interested in the aftermath. Like 
Was this all just bluster or is Tommy Fury going to get like disowned by his family if he can't beat Jake Paul? I think that's that's the most interesting thing to me. Chris, if Jake Paul doesn't knock him out, John Fury might. You wouldn't want to go back to the corner or go back on the flight home or whatever and have to face him. I mean, that guy is holy, you know. <laughs> He's all in. That's not a stable dude. And and they've said some of this stuff, I'm sure, in part because they, you know, believe that he should win, I guess. But Tyson Fury is no dummy. I mean, he understands the level his brother is at. And he has publicly commended Jake Paul for his development. Now, he's not fighting, quote unquote, real boxers and all that. But Jake Paul has shown a lot of improvement from the time he turned pro three years ago until now. And you can't really knock the hustle. I mean, the people are. It's it's a small segment of people, but if people are willing to pay for this on pay per view and pack these arenas, he's going to continue doing it, just like he's yeah. going. He was insistent on rescheduling this Tommy Fury fight for the third time because there seemed to be, for whatever reason, public demand for it in the UK more so, but among Jake Paul's fan base, they wanted to see this, so they're seeing it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Jake Jake's smart about that. He knows that. You know, there's there's one opportunity here to fight and beat Tommy Fury and make a whole, whole boatload uh, of money off it. And even as frustrating as probably has been to have the previous two fights rescheduled and, you know, slow the momentum of his career, it's smart that he went out and rescheduled this. And the one thing I'd say about both of these guys, I mean, I've been in Jake Paul's camp. I, I know he takes his career seriously. Like he's he's not he's limited skill wise as a fighter, but he's working as hard as humanly possible. You know, he's bringing in the right people to work with him and to teach him certain things. I don't know if I can say the same about Tommy Fury, who what his last fight, didn't he miss weight by like eight pounds, you know, initially, like it was, you know, that's not a sign of a guy that is treating boxing with the uh, gravity that it needs to be treated with. So I think Jake is, is a favorite in this fight. And I'm, I'm curious to see the fallout. What happens with, you know, Fury's corner. What does Tyson say afterwards? If, uh, Tommy Fury winds up on the losing end. Uh, a subplot of this, Keith, is that the WBC has said if Jake Paul wins, it will give him a world ranking at Cruiserweight. Now, I had this conversation last week with Sergio Mora, a former WBC junior middleweight champion, and he was fairly outraged by it, you know, you know, as most fighters would be. Um what do you make of this? I mean, I, I look at this as being the WBC just desperately trying to get into the Jake Paul business, but you also do have a cruiserweight title fight on the undercard with Junior Makabu going up against Badu Jack. Uh, I don't know if Jake has any interest in fighting for a cruiserweight title because, quite frankly, there's not as much money in a cruiserweight title fight as there is a Nate Diaz fight or a KSI fight. But what did you make of the WBC saying with, you know, only... What is, would it be seven professional fights and only a couple against guys with real boxing resumes? If you want to call it that, they will give him a cruiserweight ranking. Well, in the release, and it seemed like Mauricio Suleiman was trying to set a record for saying asinine things in a in a finite amount of time, I guess, but he didn't specify how he would be ranked because the WBC, for some reason, ranks 40 fighters per division. Whereas the most of the other, I think all of the other ones stop at 15 because you have to be in the top 15 to qualify for a title shot. So if you're ranked 34th, who really cares? What is the purpose of doing it? I guess I'm sure they charge the fighters in some way they get something out of it. But um, so if let's just say Jake Paul knocks out Tommy Fury and he pops up at number 39 in the next set of WBC rankings for cruiserweights, it doesn't really matter because he can't fight for a title. Now, if he pops up at 15, then it's a real issue because there are, if you go look at their rankings, uh, like the number 15 in the most recent WBC rankings, the number 15 contender is Brandon Glenn, who just lost a very close fight. It's his only loss. Uh, you know, he's a legitimate cruiserweight contender. So let's just say Jake Paul replaced him in the rankings. If I were Brandon, Brandon Glenn, I'd be furious because, you know, he doesn't belong there. And if you're taking the spot of a guy who potentially could get a title fight when, let's just say, the winner of Makabu and Badu Jack is looking for an optional defense or something, and you're eliminated from that mix because Jake Paul is in the rankings and the only quote-unquote real boxer that he has fought is Tommy Fury, 
I mean, you should be outraged. Uh, but again, if he if he is only ranked in the top 40, I don't it doesn't matter. Uh, it, it's he can't fight for a title. But I don't know if Mauricio Suleiman did that intentionally, leaving it vague the way that they did in the in the uh, announcement that they sent out. But he didn't specify. And there's a huge difference between being ranked in the top 15 and being ranked in the top 40, anywhere from 16 through 40. No one's paying attention to that anyway, and it doesn't really help you get a title shot. So if they do it, well, it's kind of goofy and shouldn't happen, but it's not really all that damaging for the guys who otherwise, if he's ranked in the top 15, would be uh, cheated out of a potential title shot, I guess. Yeah, I I get the feeling that the WBC would like to rank him higher that he deserves like th- there's no other reason to rank him other than to potentially set him up with a shot at the cruiserweight title. Right. Like, isn't that the, the yeah, end no, game? You follow the money, right? Chris. Yeah, yeah. That, of course. And and it's not a coincidence that Badu Jack and no fighting on the undercard. Um, it would be really <laughs> shameful even for boxing. If Jake Paul were to get a title fight, in a quiet moment, Jake Paul would tell you that if he got a title not even shot. quiet, like he doesn't look. I'm like he he puts a, like a world title thing as his end game. Like he'd love to fight for a world title, his very last possible fight. But Jake Paul is about the big fights and the big money at this point. And like he, even if it even if he got a shot at Junior Makabu or Badu Jack for a world title, like genuinely, Keith, like how much interest do you think there would be in a Paul Makabu fight in the U.S.? Like it would be intriguing to see Jake Paul fight for a legitimate world title, but there's far more interest in Nate Diaz. There's far more interest in KSI. There's probably five or six guys that would generate more interest with Jake Paul than a cruiserweight title fight at this point. Well, Makabu already fought uh, pretty close to Cleveland last year. So that this was all set up to develop his <laughs> fan base in that area. Makabu's running around with that. Makabu's trying to hold on to that title till something crazy happens. It was Canelo a couple of years ago, going to move up to cruiserweight and fight for a title. Now he's on the Jake Paul undercard against Badu Jack. Yeah. Well, Badu Jack didn't look particularly good in his last fight. Um, he won, but you know, Makabu's slipping a little bit too. So maybe he pulls this off, you know, and then Badu Jack is a, is a known name. You know, he's a former world champion in two divisions. So, and that would be, a, make it a third division. Um, I don't know. They could they could do it in the Middle East. I mean, he's Muslim. He's uh, he lives. I believe Badu Jack lives in Dubai now, uh, so they could sell it as an event over there in that way. It would just be. I mean, again, Chris, just so shameful for boxing if Jake Paul <clears throat> gets a title shot in his next fight. Um, one of the worst things that's happened in recent memory, and that's saying a lot, because he because he just doesn't deserve it. Now he he can go, you know, fight. Nate Diaz or whomever else and make a lot of money. And it's, you know, it's that he's entitled to do that, but to fight for a world world title after what he's done over a a seven fight period would be pretty crazy. Yeah, I, I agree. And I quite frankly think Jake Paul uh, would agree as well. All right, let's talk about the fight that you were supposed to be at this weekend, but we'll be covering for boxing scene uh, remotely. Uh, 140 pound fight, Matias versus Ponce. Um, this has war written all over it, Keith. You got two guys that are just come forward, heavy-handed uh, kind of guys. It might not be the most technically uh, most technical fight that's out there, but it feels like this has fight of the year contender kind of written all over it. What are you expecting in this matchup? You know, I spoke to both guys at length, Chris, and, and they said, both of them said the same thing. They expect a war. They expect it, I think, the words that Ponce used, which were translated to me, was going to be a high-voltage affair and the fans are not going to be disappointed. I think they both expect that type of knockdown, drag-out fight. You know, uh, Subiru Matias is a guy who, you know, just comes forward. He's a huge puncher. Every fight that he has won as a professional has been won by knockout. He avenged his only loss to Petros Ananyan by just beating him down in their rematch last January. Uh, it was a competitive fight uh, for much of it, but then he started beating him up and he knocked down Ananyan for the first time in Ananyan's career uh, and became the first opponent to stop him. Uh, he's a huge puncher. He comes to fight, you know, not much for defense, doesn't have the greatest jab, 
you know, but he's a huge puncher. Ponce, uh, you know, he looked great in that Lewis Ritson fight. That's the biggest fight of his career. He went to Lewis Ritson's hometown, uh, beat him up pretty badly, especially to the body, knocked him down three times in the 10th round and uh, won that fight by TKO. And that's how he became the mandatory challenger for Josh Taylor's IBF title, which Taylor later gave up. And then the IBF ordered him to fight Matias uh, for this vacant title. Uh, I think it's going to be a great fight, and and it's it's under the radar because <clears throat> neither guy is exactly a household name even among boxing fans. But uh, people are well aware of Matias because he's been fighting on PBC cards in recent years, and he's Puerto Rican. And it's kind of surprising that he hasn't become bigger because you know the Puerto Ricans embrace you know all of their fighters, and this guy can really you know can really crack and he knocks people out. You would think he would be a bigger name than he is now, but maybe winning this title and getting into a bigger fight can do that for his career. Uh, but Ponce is going to be a, a difficult. He's a. I think Matias is a four to one favorite, and, he, and he, you'd have to favor him to win the fight based on what he's done. Uh, Ponce hasn't fought the highest level of opposition, but again, that Lewis Ritson fight. And I'm not saying Ritson's as good as Matias. Certainly not the puncher that Matias is, uh, but but to go to his hometown and do that to him was impressive. Uh, and that's been his toughest test to date. Uh, this is kind of in neutral territory. Neither of them has anything to do with Minneapolis, Minnesota, which is the hometown of Jamal James, who's fighting on the uh, in the co-feature. Um, but I just think it's going to be an excellent fight. And uh, and that'd be great. Back-to-back -back weeks coming off of the uh, uh, Neri-Hovnesian fight. And, of course, the Lee Wood, the dramatic ending to the Lara Lee Wood fight. You know, it'd be good to build some momentum here and, uh, you know, somewhat lower profile fights, but but fights that fans will enjoy. That's well, a great fight. And to your point, uh, in terms of bigger fights in the future, a lot at stake. I mean, 140 is poised to become kind of a glamour division in boxing with the names that are in there already right now, whether it's Josh Taylor, Teofimo Lopez, Regis Progre, of course, a title holder, but... Also with the 135 pounders, Devin Haney, Ryan Garcia, they figured to be moving up before the end of the year. And if you can get one of those belts, the IBF belt in this case, that's currency, Keith. That's like, you know, half a million dollar payday, million dollar payday guaranteed in in probably your next fight, whether it's in a unification fight or you're fighting against one of those top guys like a Haney or a Ryan Garcia. So, you know, financially. If, if there's a lot at stake. I mean, both these guys want to become title holders, but I would think the money is, and the future money is even more important at this point. Yeah, as much as we, you know, criticize there being four, four, and then some, and some I guess, five, if you recognize the W, uh, the IBO, um, you know, there, there are too many titles, but these titles are very valuable to the fighters because they'll make much more money by defense. Even if Subaru Matias loses you say he wins on saturday night and then he goes and defends the title against uh you know a higher profile guy, whoever it might be he's going to make a lot of money so these titles are very valuable to the guys and uh uh it's going to be a fun fight like i said chris and i think um you know you get some bang for your buck on on saturday night well except regis program was kind of like holding his title up going like does anybody want a title well, shot well i don't know if i'd want to fight regis program either if, if there sure. were a path to a title like if you're Tiafimo Lopez, and I'm not saying he couldn't beat Regis Progre, but you know there's been some slippage in Tiafimo and uh, his last fight he didn't look particularly good. Um, but I would rather fight Josh Taylor, and and Lopez is willing to go over to the UK and do it, you know, even to Glasgow. So uh, I've been told that, that that's possible that that fight would be in the US also. Mm. But whatever the case, if you're him, that's the higher profile fight, and then maybe he would fight Regis Progre after that in a title unification fight, but. You know, Progre is one of those, I don't want, it's not that there's no reward because he has one of the titles and people obviously know who Regis Progre is, but that's a tough fight, man. I mean, look look what he just did to Jose Zapata, who no one had, Zapata had been knocked down you know, multiple times by Ivan Baranchik, but he got up and knocked him cold to win the fight. Uh, but no one had done that uh -huh. to Jose Zapata. So, you know, Progre is still somewhat in the prime of his career. I believe he's 33. Man, it's going to be tough to get people to sign up to fight him, particularly when he's not with, you know, if he were with top rank and his fights were on ESPN, you're getting this great exposure. Or if he was with PBC and the fights are on Showtime, whatever the case might be, he's not even really affiliated with a promoter that has a TV deal in the U.S. And that last fight was an independent pay-per-view. You know, so unless someone's putting up a decent amount of money for you to go fight him, people are going to steer clear of him. Yeah, and 
not to make this about program, but I can understand his frustration. Like if he came within like what a point, two points of beating Josh Taylor a few years ago, he wins that fight. You know, he's undisputed on the path to undisputed probably would be undisputed um, at this point and a marquee guy with multiple options in terms of promoters and networks. Instead, he loses that fight in a close way and has been kind of in the boxing wilderness ever since he gets the world title shot. He wins the world title and now he's, He's still looking for something. I mean, I'd love to see a Jack Catterall fight get put together. That fight makes some sense. You could do it over in the UK. Catterall has earned an opportunity at a world title shot in the aftermath of the Taylor fight and all the postponements uh, for that. Um, I I don't know that it's doable. I know that they've explored it internally. Um, You know, we'll see if the money is there for it, but that's a fight I'd I'd love to see put together over in the UK. It makes makes a good amount of sense. Um, Last thing for you, Keith. You know, it seems like every week, two weeks, we wonder about the future of Gennady Golovkin. It was a couple of weeks ago he vacated his IBF title at 160 pounds. It sure sounds like or seems like that his WBA belt is going to go the same way. There is going to be, at some point, a purse bid, calls for a purse bid for a fight against Arislandi Lara, who is the secondary title holder. Um I don't think Golovkin would shy away from that fight, but you better pay him for that fight. And I don't think the money is out there uh, for a showdown with Arislandi Lara. Like, what's your read on on Golovkin's future? I mean, I I talked about this with other people, you know, before uh, before we vacated the IBF title. Now here we are, and we could head into March with Golovkin either about to be or being a non-title holder. You know, he's in a weird position, Chris, because he's accustomed to making X amount of money because, frankly, the zone has overpaid him uh, throughout his his partnership with the company. They really wanted the third uh, Canelo fight and they and they did get it. Um, you know, it took four years or so for it to finally happen, but it did happen. Uh, and he's accustomed to making huge purses. But those huge purses, especially since the, the company that he's done all this business with and made the most money with, He's basically said, I don't want to work with them anymore. So I don't know where he goes from here because there's no one else going to fund these fights. I mean, if let's just say he were to now as he gives away these middleweight titles, the fight, let's just say with Charlo, if he were to fight Charlo, which I don't foresee happening. But if he were, if he gives up all of these middleweight titles and it's not a unification fight, it becomes less attractive to Charlo. And then it's just, you know, is, is Al Heyman going to guarantee he wouldn't guarantee money to Terrence Crawford to fight Errol Spence. He's going to guarantee money to a 41 year old man who, you know, I don't What would the purpose of that be? He's not his guy. just like Terrence Crawford wasn't his guy. So he's not going to do it. Uh, ESPN certainly is not going to guarantee Gennady Golovkin enormous amounts of money. And then you would have to hope that if you're him, that some situation arises like the Murata situation where he went to Japan and he was paid very well to go, to go fight in a unification fight in Japan, and he, and he was well compensated. But I think all of those avenues have already been explored and exploited. And, you know, he's either going to have to lower his asking price for these fights or retire because I, I don't, you know, from a pride standpoint, he's going to want to be paid a certain amount and he thinks he's worth a certain amount, which is fine. But if there's no one willing to fund it, well, what are you, what is anyone supposed to do? Eventually he's going to have, he can't hold the titles hostage, which they're not allowing him to do because he already gave up the IBF title, uh, and it looks like he may be on his way to giving up the WBA title. So then does he fight a 68-pounder? He just fought at 168 pounds and, of course, lost to Canelo. But does he go up to 68 for a big fight? Is it? I guess is it worth it to him, too? Because he's. I'm assuming he's done well with his money. He's made a lot of money uh, you know, over the last 10 years or so. So he doesn't really need to fight. So maybe he just ultimately decides this isn't worth it. I don't want to fight, you know, whoever's ranked high in these in the ratings, you know, Zarafa or Falcao or whoever. And he just decides to call today that I could see that happening. Yeah, it's it's funny. And I'm sure you make the same phone calls. But every time I talk to people in Golovkin's orbit and ask them what the plan is, there isn't one like there's no they're unable to articulate what the end game is in the first half of this year for Gennady Golovkin. And I keep hearkening back on kind of how enthusiastic Golovkin was after the Canelo loss about returning to 160 and defending his titles that he seemed really adamant at the time that his career was going to continue. And I don't see Gennady Golovkin as being the kind of guy that wants to go out 
with a loss, especially not one to his arch rival in Canelo Alvarez. But I'm with you. There's got to be a course correction at some point to to accept that the landscape has changed, that the guarantees are not going to be there, that if he wants to fight in a marketable fight, he's going to have to take less or no guarantee against Jamal Charlo, less or no guarantee against Jaime Munguia. I mean, there's no, like, you're not going to make big money to go fight Liam Smith in the UK. The Japanese Avenue is closed. Like there just isn't, you know, know, like Eddie Hearn's not putting him in the Middle East to make, you know, big dough. Like there's just not, the, the options aren't there. And, you know, he seemed so proud, justifiably, of still being a, unified world champion at middleweight at 40 years old. And now he's on the cusp of losing both those titles. It just feels like this has been either there was some delusion, you know, in team Golovkin after the Canelo fight, or, you know, they're just now coming to the realization that this, this kind of money, you know, just isn't out there. I mean, I I think a Charlo fight makes some sense, but to your point, like, you know, Al Heyman's not going to guarantee him real money to fight for Charlo's, middleweight title um on that point keith charlo is supposedly coming back you know in june it'll be two years off i mean are you buying jamal charlo coming back at 160 and you know what's his pathway to to relevancy again well he's supposed to come back in june and i would expect it to be in houston um on showtime uh he he's going to fight i think chris the type of opponent he's going to fight is anyone's guess because it's not going to be someone uh, who they think has any chance of beating him. I don't, I, I wouldn't expect that to happen, but it goes back to some of what I was referring to earlier. You can't allow these guys, whatever's going on in their personal lives or, or their, you know, physically with injuries and everything, you cannot allow these guys to hold these titles hostage for years on end. He has not fought in almost two years. When he does fight in June, it's going to be almost exactly two years since the pre- previous time that he fought, when he did not look particularly great against Juan Macias Montiel, who Carlos Adamas later destroyed. Carlos Adamas is the is the mandatory, he's the interim champion, the mandatory mm-hmm. for Charlos' title. I certainly not going to fight Carlos Adamas in June, um, and he might not want to fight Carlos Adamas at all. If that's the case, that he's well within his right to do that, but then vacate the title and move up, or do whatever you want to do. But give Carlos Adamas his opportunity to be the full champion because you can't. It's similar to what's going on with Spence. I'll go off on a tangent here, but Spe, you know Spence is holding these welterweight titles hostage. You couldn't figure out the Crawford fight. Okay, you tried. It seems pretty much now like it just might not happen. Um, he shouldn't be allowed to hold the IBF, WBA, uh, and WBC titles and fight Keith Thurman in a 154 pound fight. That's ridiculous. It just shouldn't be. So, you know, if if their activity level is once a year or once every two years or whatever it might be, the rest of boxing shouldn't be held hostage or the rest of the fighters in their divisions and their careers should not be held back for those long, long periods of time. And, and the same applies to Golovkin. If you can't figure out, you know, go figure out how you're going to maximize your dollars in your next fight. That, okay, your business, you can do what you want, but you can't hold the titles too. Yeah, and I think in this case, the sanctioning bodies that, held his titles have done the right thing, right? They've the IBF has ordered a mandatory fight. Golovkin elected not to go through with it. That belt is gone. The WBA at some point is going to order the Lara fight. That belt likely to go away. So in those cases, I I would praise, rare praise for the sanctioning bodies for for doing the right thing. But the WBC, who is I think the title of this episode should be the WBC sucks, like because of all that they've all the things they've done that we're beating up on them for. But like the WBC, like if Charlo wants to come back, great. He wants to defend his title, great. It should have to be against Carlos Adames. The WBC, speaking of their investigative unit, they said they were going to investigate what's going on with Charlo back in November. Like it's been three months. Charlo there's says he's going to really, come back. Yeah, there's nothing really to investigate. Look, the guy, it's been, you know, other people, Progray, who is close to Charlo, sure. into the public sphere. You know, he's had some personal issues, uh, you know, and, and he's dealing with those. He kind of alluded to it in an Instagram post a, a few weeks ago. Um, and I understand, you know, people go through tough situations in their lives and they're just, he was just not right in the right frame of mind to fight. Of course, you know, get yourself together and get back into camp. And he, again, he can do that. I mean, it, it, it's he's well within his right to do that, but not by holding the title hostage at the same time. He just shouldn't be allowed to do that. 
especially if he's going to move up anyway. And from his perspective, why give the WBC? No one cares whether you're the WBC middleweight champion or not, because you're not fighting the, the people in the middleweight division that people want to see you fight. Not saying that's all necessarily his fault because he tried to fight Munguia last year and we all have been through that, why that fell apart. Uh, so he's tried to fight some guys, but, um, but if he's not going to fight people, uh, opponents who people will be interested in, why does it really matter if he's the WBC middleweight champion? Who cares? So just give up the title and save yourself some money. You, know, you have kids to put through college at some point. Why give the WBC 3% of, you know, a seven figure purse just because. Yeah. Uh, look, Sorry to interrupt you, but one thing I meant to mention during this Golovkin thing, you know who's the number two ranked middleweight contender by the WBA? Oh, give it to me. Sergio Martinez. (laughs) I love the WBA. Sergio Martinez is 48 years old. (laughs) And if there is someone in Argentina with a lot of money who wants to waste it, Maybe they could make Sergio Martinez against Gennady Golovkin in Buenos Aires. Uh, ten years after Lou DeBella said absolutely not for Sergio Martinez against Gennady Golovkin, maybe they would make it. I, I love I, I if you ever want to have some fun and you're a boxing fan, check out the WBA's monthly rankings. I remember doing this when when Alexis Rocha was going to fight George Ashey, and Ashey was the late replacement for Rocha. I started thinking like who is Ashy? Like I'm doing my research on him. And I look at the WBA rankings in December and George Ashy, who had zero f- uh, fights as in, in the full 147 pound division, he fought above 140 once, but he fought a guy that was in the one fifties, making that fight officially a junior middleweight fight, zero official fights at 147 pounds. He was ranked, I think 13th by the WBA in their rankings. And Alexis Rocha, a career-long welterweight, was not ranked in the WBA rankings. Like, how are these put together? Just pulling names out of a hat? Like, I I just, I can't. I can't. Sergio Martinez, number two at 160. Sergio Martinez, despite fighting a succession of stumble bums in his return to boxing. Great. Bring on Golovkin, Sergio Martinez for the WBA middleweight title in Buenos Aires that good luck to you I'm just saying if there's someone in in Argentina willing to pay for it would would either of us be surprised if that eventually wound up even if even if Golovkin doesn't have the title I mean it's much more meaningful for Martinez if he does but um and again I don't want to see it and and for for the health of Sergio Martinez even against a 41 year old Golovkin or 42 whenever it might happen it's not a good idea, but that doesn't generally stop them. You probably got the exact same phone calls I did from Lou DeBella back then when Golovkin was chasing Sergio, and Lou would say, absolutely not. I'm not putting my guy in with that guy. No chance on earth. It would be fitting, Keith, that with both guys well past 40 uh, to see them finally square off. And Lou's not involved in Sergio Martinez's career anymore, so he's not there to put a stop to that. I don't know if I I want to see that. Uh, Keith, uh, enjoy covering the fight this weekend from the comforts of home. I assume you're not going to be jumping on Amtrak or anything like that to try to make your way to Minnesota. Always appreciate the time, my friend. You're welcome, Chris. Good to see you, man. And when we come back, this week's picks brought to you by FanDuel. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for 
a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, the NBA season is heating up, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers Get a no-sweat-first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything, from the money line to point scores, threes drained, you name it, you can bet on it. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat-first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash boxing. That's FanDuel.com slash boxing to learn more. And if you're in Massachusetts, get ready because FanDuel is coming soon. I am a proud Bostonian. I am ready for FanDuel to officially make its appearance on the Massachusetts shoreline. Make sure you check out FanDuel.com slash mass and take advantage of their great pre-live offers. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, so I took... Another one on the chin last week. I don't feel as bad about that loss as I felt about the one prior. Two weeks ago, I should have known better than to take Ray Vargas against Oshaki Foster. Vargas was physically bigger, but Oshaki Foster was the natural 130. Eh, that one, that's going to sting. Uh, last week, plus 370 for Lee Wood. He was winning that fight. Well, through six rounds, got caught with a monster punch, and that was the ball game. So you win some, you lose some. I don't mind betting a big dog on that one because I think it was worth the risk. This week, I'm looking at the 140-pound division, world title fight. Subriel Matias, Jeremias Ponce. This fight is in Minnesota. It is for a vacant title at junior welterweight. Look, I, I can't bet against Matias in this one. Both these guys are rough-and-tumble guys it's going to be an absolute war for as long as it lasts. Matias right now, minus 400, according to FanDuel. I got to go with that bet. Matias to win feels like a pretty safe place to put your money. I think Matias is one of the most powerful 140-pounders that we've not only seen in boxing today, but we've seen in quite some time. So I think Matias is going to win. I also think he's going to win by knockout. Minus 160 according to FanDuel, is what Matias's the odds are for Matias by knockout. I think that's a safe bet, too. You're not going to win a ton of money making this bet, but if you want to bet big, I feel very confident that Matias wins, and Matias wins by knockout. Back on track this week in the win column. Those are my picks, brought to you by FanDuel. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Keith Eideck for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. 
Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddy? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.